My name is Alex Sarosa, and I'm our Family Life Pastor, and I'm thankful to be here with you today. Before we get into the message, and we're going to get into it, I'm really excited to talk about Jonah chapter 4 today. We wanted to address something that's going on in our country right now. If you've paid attention to the news or you've been on social media, you see that there is this, this war raging out there on the topic of abortion because a couple of days ago that the Supreme Court made a decision um, not in favor of abortion. And we want to, to make sure that you know where we stand, where we have discerned that God's will is very clear and his word is clear, that it is against abortion, that it, God is for, rather, he's for the unborn child and, and that the option of abortion should never be the option. That's not God's plan in, in his creation. That's not his plan for this earth. And so we're going to continue to support foster care and adoption and ministries like Life Choices. And we're going to continue to pray and share the truth in love because that's so important. So as we see it out there today and we see people fighting with only truth but no love, that's not representing Jesus. Or only love and not truth, again, not representing Jesus. We want to pray for a nation to understand both the truth of God and the love. And we want to pray and do as much and more than we can even imagine because God can do more to care for those that, that are unborn for the, the babies in the world. So right now, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for our country. We're going to pray for our world. We're going to pray for the people out there that are engaging in a battle. We're going to pray for wisdom for ourselves as well. And then we'll get started with tonight's message. Dear God, we thank you for being a good God and for knowing us before we were born, for having a plan for our lives, you say clearly in your word that, that you knew us and you formed us. We are your masterpiece. You intricately designed us in our mother's womb for, for your good will and purpose, God. And I pray that right now in this world that, that you will make certain that people understand your heart, your truth, and your love. And I pray that you'll use us in a mighty way to share both of those things. I know it's so tempting to only be one side of it, God, but I pray that you will help us to be truth and love, and you'll be with our country. I pray that you help our country to get it right, to make decisions that, that enable this country to follow you, to help people to see you, that you are the one true God, that you are the living God, and that you have a plan for all of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, we are in part four of a mini-series about Jonah. So really, we're doing this summer-long series called One Thing Remains. And that one thing that we're talking about is the love of God. Through all of it, God's love remains. And so we've been looking at Jonah and his life and how that, that theme of love continues to persist. So far that we've learned that Jonah was a prophet of God. He was a man that was following God. He knew God. He had answered the call to, to share prophecies before this encounter. And at this time, God has called him to go to the Ninevites, which was the heart of the Assyrian Empire. And they were an evil nation. They were known for destroying empires and cities and killing people. And when Jonah heard this, he did not want to do it. He did not want to go to them and tell them about God or tell them that they needed to repent from their sins and turn to God. So Jonah ran. He ran the opposite direction. He got on a boat, and they were going in the opposite direction. And on that boat, he experienced a storm, a supernatural storm that was happening, so much so that the sailors 
were noticing that this wasn't just a normal storm. So they went to Jonah, they talked to him, they said, Jonah, you told us that you were running from the Lord. Is this the Lord's doing? And Jonah was like, yep, it is. And so with Jonah's blessing, which sounds weird, they threw him overboard. And when they threw him overboard, the storm stopped, and the sailors, who previously did not worship God, started to worship God. And then Jonah was eaten by a whale, and in that whale's belly, he praised God. And after he was in the whale's belly, well, I guess we should share that he was spat up from the the whale, and afterwards he goes and he shares the good news about God with the Ninevites. He told them about how God is going to rain judgment on you if you don't repent and turn to God to worship him, to live like God. And thankfully, they did repent, and they turned to God, and they were not destroyed. So we're going to pick it up right there. But before we, we, we dive in, I wanted to talk about something that Pastor Chris highlighted last week. I thought it was really genius to talk about it. You see, what, what God was speaking about, or what jo- God wanted Jonah to speak about, was his judgment because God hates sin. He despises sin. He is perfect. And so sin is anything against his nature. So he does not enjoy it. And so that is our God. So that is why the judgment was coming, because there's punishment for sin. And Pastor Chris reminded us that the same God that Jonah was talking about is the same God we have today. In fact, after Jesus came, died, rose again, and went to be with his Father in heaven, the writer of the book of Hebrews said this about our God. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So it's the same God. He has the power. He has the same disdain for sin. And this is why it's so important for history, for our lives, for everything that Jesus came. Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins, taking on the punishment. The same punishment that was going to be on the Ninevites for their sin, that same punishment was put on Jesus for you and for me. And then when he rose from the dead, he defeated the chains of sin and death. We just got to sing about it. And so the same God exists. But the good news is, thanks be to God, that Jesus came and died and rose again so that we don't have to experience this judgment. And so... This is what Jonah was saying. Jesus had not come yet, but he was giving a way, a pathway for people to accept this forgiveness and to turn to God. And we're going to see how we're called to do the same thing, to go to people, maybe not to Nineveh, but to people and share about the good news of Jesus. So we're going to read in chapter 4, and again, this is after the boat, after the whale, after Nineveh, all that stuff. We're going to dive in. Jonah 4.1 says this. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. The change of plans that he was angry about is that the Ninevites weren't destroyed. So make no mistake, Jonah at the beginning did not want to share this message so the Ninevites could be spared, and he still felt this way. I think this is a really good illustration of the fact that Jonah was a real person, Like, he had these emotions, these anger and jealousy and rage against the people. We're honest, we get those same emotions as well. Sometimes we look at what's happening, we say, that's just not right, and we get so filled with those. The question, though, remains, what do we do when we have those emotions? Let's see what Jonah does. Jonah 4, 2 through 4. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you 
to be angry about this? Jonah was mad. A couple weeks ago on one of our You Ask For It panels, Matt Bartlett, our director of student ministries, was asked kind of a similar question of like, why do these negative things happen in this world? And what should I do in response to the feelings I feel about this? And Matt did a great job of answering it. He says, we got to go to God. We need to go to God with our anger, our frustrations, everything, because he knows our hearts already, and he's the one that can help us through all of those emotions. I mean, he's not shocked by anything that we share with him, and he has big enough shoulders to take our biggest gripe with him. He knows how to handle them. So Jonah does something right here. Jonah does something right by going to God and sharing about what he was mad about. But again, why was he mad? He was mad because the people were spared. And Pastor Chris shared this last week. Jonah knew God was merciful, and if he told the Ninevites of God's impending judgment, they would repent. He didn't want the enemy, and that's how they viewed the Ninevites. They didn't want the enemy off the hook after doing something bad. Or maybe it was that he didn't want the Ninevites to say, yep, God, I'm sorry. Sorry that I did something wrong. And then maybe a year later, going and attacking God's people. So either way, he was not happy with this. But it reminds me a lot of the people that interacted with Jesus. As Jesus walked on this earth, there was this group of people called the Pharisees. They were religious leaders. And they were not so fond of sinners either. Just like Jonah didn't have this good perception of them. They would see Jesus hanging out with with sinners and people that they thought were less than And they were furious. And this was recorded in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. It says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And I think that's just a profound thing about how important Jesus and his love was to people. Even people that were far from him said, I want to go and listen to him. Incredible. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Same thing. Jonah was mad. He was like, come on, how can you let these guys live? And and the Pharisees come to Jesus, how could you even have a meal with these people? But Jesus made it clear. He was on this earth to save the lost. That he came for the hurting. He came for those that were destined for destruction so that they could come and know Jesus. That they can come and have a new life so that they could be forgiven. This is why Jesus came. And it's the same reason that God was asking the Ninevites to repent because ultimately God loves the lost and he wants people to have that second chance. See, God and Jesus are one. And so the same God that sent Jonah to the Ninevites was the same God, but in the form of Jesus Christ that ate with the sinners. So God is gonna tell Jonah through some circumstances and then some words about why he wanted the Ninevites to live. And this is the cool thing about God. We can bring those frustrations And that anger to God, we can tell him all of our honest emotions, and then we can listen, because our God will speak to us. He'll speak to us through people and through his word and through prayer and through circumstances, and sometimes we just have to listen and be quiet long enough to hear about it. So let's see how God responds. Jonah 4, 5 through 9. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. 
The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. I think it's crazy. Like, Jonah is, is, at this point, now he's mad that people live, and now he's so mad that this plant died that he's like, just just kill me now. And I think, like, was Jonah a teenager? No offense, no offense. I just know that I had those feelings when I was a teenager. Something bad happened, I'm like, all right, I'm done, done with all of it. And so I wonder, like, what is going on? Jonah is a prophet of God. If we ever think, I'm not good enough to follow God, let's, let's just look at Jonah, okay? Like, let's look at how God used him in a mighty way and think, okay, God can even use me. If we ever even wonder, like, okay, what about the fact that I doubt? Jonah was sitting wondering what was happening to the city, God just told Jonah what was going to happen to the city. He's like, I'm not going to destroy it. But Jonah gets out his lawn chair and goes, well, I'm going to watch and see what is going to happen because Jonah wasn't paying attention. So God decides to repeat himself. He's already asked, is it right for you to be angry about the Ninevites? And so he says it again. Is it right for you to be angry about this plant? And now God doesn't repeat himself for his own good. He repeats himself for us to get our attention. He's telling Jonah to wake up. Jonah just got to see miracle after miracle. He was on the boat, and sure, the storm didn't feel like a miracle at the time, but it was a miracle of God. And then the sailors repented and turned to God, a miracle of God. And then he's thrown overboard, and he thought he was surely going to die. But instead, a whale saves him, miracle of God. And then he goes to this humongous city, and he tells them about God, and they all repent. The king even gets down and repents and tells all the people to repent. Miracle of God over and over. He got to witness some really great things from God. But instead of celebrating, his thoughts turned selfish. His thoughts turned inward, and he started just to worry about himself. And I'm very convicted by that because there's often times where we see a beautiful day where God answers a prayer, and we're sick one day, we're not sick the next day. And then all of a sudden, it becomes easy to say, well, I want, I need, I don't get. And we have those inward selfish thoughts as well, just like Jonah's having. And just like those Pharisees, again, those Pharisees go to Jesus and they're only thinking of themselves. They're not thinking about how those tax collectors and notorious sinners could come to salvation, have everlasting life with Jesus. They're just thinking of like, hey, you're not as good as me. Why am I not getting this special treatment? And so Jesus tells the Pharisees, while they're feeling these emotions, this story. So Jesus told them this story. If a man had a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So Jesus is sharing with the Pharisees, but he's also telling it to us as well. At New Life Students, we have this presentation team of leaders and as well as Matt, as well as myself, that, that get to share messages at, at, at our student ministry on Tuesday nights. And Greg Miller, who's one of our team members, recently said something, and, I, and it really connected with me. He said that the Bible was written to a specific audience. Jesus was sp- talking to specific people but it was written for us. So it was written to people, but it was written for us. So as Jesus is talking to the disciples or, and the Pharisees, 
God in his everlasting wisdom knows that we're going to understand this someday, that we're going to hear about this someday. And so what is Jesus telling us? That there's a celebration. There's a celebration when people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That that's why Jesus came and he died, so that people can enter into a relationship with God. And when that happens, heaven celebrates. Heaven throws a party because someone comes to know God. And so Jesus is trying to impart this wisdom on people like, no, that even if you think that they're, they're too far gone, God is so pleased because people that he created, that he designed and he made have come back to know God as, as Lord and as master. And not because of what we do, but because completely by what God did. Again, it's not because we earn it. It's because Jesus died and rose again. And so As God is showing this to Jonah through this worm, through this plant, why he's telling it is because Jonah wanted justice for his enemies, but mercy for himself. Of course we want justice for enemies and mercy for ourselves. That's what Jonah was feeling in this moment too. He's saying, yeah, God, give me mercy. Give me shade. Come on. But for those people, can you just please kill them? Wipe them out? They're too evil. I mean, that sounds funny, but that's exactly what... He says, we're blessed because we get the blessing of the fact that Jesus loves us, that he created us, but so do our enemies. Our enemies also were created by Jesus, or created by God, and Jesus died and rose again for them as well, the people who wrong us. God wants them to come into relationship with him also. And so as we, we look at what God tells Jonah at the very end of the book, these are the last two verses, Let's be thinking of that. What is God teaching Jonah? But what is he also speaking to us about today? Jonah 4, 10 and 11. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, that you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. God cares about animals too. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? God loved the Ninevites so much that he sent Jonah. The shepherd loved that one lost sheep so much that he left the 99 and went there. And Jesus loves us so much that he came and gave up heaven, which I can't comprehend because I wouldn't do that. God gave up his one and only son, wouldn't do that either. But God did that for us because he loves us and wants to come to know him. You see, our God goes to whatever lengths it takes to bring people to himself. God set out to change Nineveh and to change Jonah. He wanted both of them to draw into who he is. He wants to seek the lost. That's why Jesus came, and not only to leave them lost, but to bring them into relationship with him. Pastor Chris, a couple weeks ago, talked about how there was a study done. And in this study, it said that there's a growing number of Christians who call themselves Christians that don't believe that it's their right to go and tell someone about Jesus in the hopes that they come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But that flies in the face of what God is all about. He wants people to turn from their sins and come to know him. Why? Because then they get to experience life as it was truly designed to live so they can experience a relationship with the God of the universe, so they can experience heaven and they don't have that penalty, that judgment of sin on their lives. It also flies in the whole face of what it literally means to be a Christian. The very beginning of the church, once Jesus ascended into heaven, the first believers of Jesus were called Christians, which translates and just means little Christ as an insult. 
They're called little Christ because people would say that they were acting just like the person that was crucified. And the early Christians took it as a badge of honor. They said, yeah, we're supposed to live like Jesus. And so they continued accepting that name, and then we are called it today. And it still means the same thing, that as Christians, we are called to be like little Christ, to be like Jesus. And what did Jesus come to do? Seek and save the lost. And we're called to do that as well. And this all leads us to our take-home point. The one point that the message has been building up to and it's going to continue talking about after here, the, the point that I hope that we take home and live out in the week ahead, it says this, God loves us as we are, but he doesn't want us to remain there. He doesn't want us to remain there. He didn't want the Ninevites to remain in their sin. Jonah went and said that to change, right? He said, go and repent from your sins and then you won't get judgment, that you will get this relationship with God. And what happens when the shepherd goes and finds that one sheep? He didn't say, are you okay here? You like this spot? There's a stream over there. I'll see you later. He goes, no, come with me. I'm going to protect you. I'm the shepherd. I'm going to keep all harm away from you. Come back to the flock. And Jesus, when he came to this earth, the same thing. He loved everyone he encountered, but he would say, now go and sin no more. And he'd call people out of their lives into a new life with God. So much so that when Jesus was going to be with his father, he gave some marching orders, some instructions to his disciples. He told them to help people grow up to be like God. And in Matthew 28 through, 19 through 20, it records his marching orders. It says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus used this word disciple intentionally. He could have said, hey, why don't you just go out and tell everyone that they're fine now, they've got a free pass to heaven, but that's not the reality of what was going on. He instead used the word disciple. And his early followers would have understood what that word meant really clearly. You see, back then, there was a rabbi, which was a religious leader, religious teacher, and they would have some disciples following them. In order to be a disciple, you'd have to go through rigorous training and school and testing, and eventually you might get picked if you're the best of the best to be a disciple. And if you got picked, what that meant was you had to leave everything behind, your life, your family, all of it, and follow that rabbi wherever they went. And the goal was to imitate that rabbi with your life. So you would want to talk like them, preach like them, serve like them, all of that. There was even an old saying back then that you could tell how devoted a disciple was by how dirty their robes were. And scholars believe that that means one of two things. Either it means that they were always sitting in front of the rabbi learning, and it was like dirt floors, so they were caked in dirt. Or they were literally so close behind the rabbis as they were following down the road that the dirt from the dirt robe would, would get kicked up and caked on. The, I like that one more. I think it's kind of funny. Um, I hope that was really what, what it was. And so they, they said that because they wanted, as a disciple, to be transformed. To not only learn, but to be transformed so they lived like this, 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 this rabbi so they could become the rabbi someday and then have disciples and train them up as well. So when Jesus was using this word disciple... He wasn't using it flippantly. He was saying, go and make people that live like me. Have them be disciples that live like Jesus. And it's important to know that we aren't done when we choose to follow Jesus. We're called to grow up. We're called to be like God as well. We're called to live like Jesus. 
Again, Jonah knew who God was. He was a prophet of God. But God wanted him to grow up because he wasn't yet thinking like God thought. He didn't see the Ninevites the way that God saw the Ninevites. And so God knew that he needed to do something in Jonah's life so he could change his thinking to be more like God's thinking. The prophet Isaiah helps us understand what this means. In chapter 55, verse 8, it says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Until we have the mindset of God, we aren't yet like him. And so we might have plans and desires for this world, but if they're not the plans and desires that God has, we got to start to transform and to shift and to understand what does God want. You look at Jonah. I mean, he had a plan for the Ninevites. He wanted them destroyed. And he didn't see how a good God could let evil people survive, even if he didn't remember that when they repented and turned to God, they were going to stop being evil. He didn't like that plan. He was angry about that plan. And so he wasn't yet thinking as God thought. And in our lives, we got to do the same thing. We got to start changing how we think and start looking at how God perceives situations and people and the world around us. This is challenging, this, this next line, and I'm going to read it twice because it's really been challenging to me, but it's really important for us if we're going to be disciples of Jesus. Hear this. Until we realize what we want is less important than what God wants, we aren't yet entirely devoted as a disciple of Jesus. Until we realize what we want is less important than what God wants, we aren't yet entirely devoted as a disciple of Jesus. Jesus asked his disciples to leave everything behind and follow him. All those early disciples that lived life with Jesus left it all and followed him. And then the ones that remained after Jesus' death and resurrection, what they wanted to do was to live like Jesus, and they lived that out in their lives. And Jesus calls us to do the same thing as well. He calls us to live differently, to take on the mindset of God and to see people the same way God sees them. Instead of going and looking at people with with anger and rage and jealousy and hoping the worst and wanting revenge, God's saying, how can you love them the same way that God loved the Ninevites? How can we pray for people to come to know Jesus, pray for people to experience life that is truly life, even if they disagree with us or they've wronged us or they've angered us? How can we do that? And Jesus tells us how one of the ways that we can do that in Matthew 5. He says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Maybe you have someone in your mind right now. Maybe there's someone that's popping up right now and you're saying, oh, that person. I just, I kind of wish that judgment would come upon them. What Jesus is saying is that we start by praying We start by asking God to work in their hearts. It's really hard to hate someone when we're actively praying for them, so we pray. We ask God to work in their lives, and then we start to see our mission on this earth differently. We say, okay, how can I go and serve them and serve those people around us? Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, far away from him. We might be called someday to go far away from us to a different country, but right now God has put us where we are for a specific purpose and a specific reason. In the family, in the workplace, everywhere we're at for a reason. There are people around us that need to know Jesus. And if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we can look at the 99 sheep and the one and understand this, that the found go and find. 
that as people that found those that know Jesus, Lord and Savior, we are called to go and find. And I know this sounds daunting, to go and share about Jesus with someone does sound on the surface daunting. But I look back to how I was first introduced to church. It was to a youth group when I was in high school. I was invited through a pizza party. I was told about pizza. My friend that invited me to church didn't know any theology about God. He didn't have all the answers about the universe. I, I, maybe he does now, but at that time, I know uh, he did not know that stuff. But he did know that there was pizza somewhere and that he invited me to it. And it, it worked. And it was great. In our lives, we can start to look at situations and say, where is that place that I can invite someone to? How can I build a relationship with someone? How can I show them the love of Jesus through my life and through my love. Here's a very practical thing. The fireworks are coming up July 3rd, and that's very soon we're doing them in Saxonburg. And it's pretty normal. I mean, honestly, it's pretty normal to think about fireworks and go, okay, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with my family or my best friends. I'm going to eat some popcorn and listen to I'm Proud to Be an American, and it's going to be great. And nothing wrong with that. However, if we are going to start thinking and say, how can I think of this situation like God would think about it. How could I be a found that is going to find? Who can I, the question would then remain, who could I invite to fireworks to sit with me, to watch with me that I know that doesn't know God? That I know that can come and we can just build a relationship because that's where it starts. The writer Gary Poole recently said that there are three steps that we can think about when we're talking to someone about Jesus. Because again, if we're thinking we're going to save them, we might get overwhelmed and we can remember that God's the one that saves, we don't. But Gary Poole gives us these three steps. It says, we first we develop friendships, and then we discover stories, and then we discern next steps. Why do we do that? Because we look at our neighbors and say, I want you to experience life that is true life. We look and say, I don't want you to experience the punishment of sin. I want you to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so it starts with building relationships and then discovering stories and then discerning next steps. So practically, what does that look like? In our lives, so you can think about a neighbor you have, maybe your neighbor, Chad. Say, hey, Chad, why don't you come with me and watch some fireworks? And then while you're watching fireworks, you learn a little bit about their life and you share about your life. There's no need right then to be like, all right, here's my Bible, and uh, let me start reading to you. That's not, that's not what it's saying. It's saying share your life, share your stories, and what God has maybe been doing in your life. But as you hear about their story, then you discern some next steps. And maybe they say, well, I just got fired, so I need a new job. And you can say, hey, can I pray for you for, for that new job? Can I help you find uh, another job? Or maybe there's cornhole going on, and you got your buddy Matt and your buddy Bob playing cornhole already, and you go, hey, Chad, why don't we go play some cornhole? And you introduce them to your friends uh, from New Life, and then uh, maybe a couple weeks later, you say, hey, I have a small group. Do you remember playing cornhole with those cool dudes, uh, Bob and Matt? Uh, they're super cool, really great at uh, cornhole. You love them. And why don't you come to small group with us? And so there can be an invitation, and next step that's practical. Again, we're not all called to go like Jonah was to preach to a whole city of people and tell them all that impending doom is happening. But we are all called to share the love of Jesus and to help people know that Jesus does love them and that he died and rose again for them. And so we can do that when we start to think of the world differently. We can start to have the same mindset of God and we can see people as God sees them, as he sees us, as he loves us desperately, so much so that he sent Jesus. And so when we become a disciple of Jesus, we'll look at every situation differently. And being a disciple of Jesus, that's the goal. That's what Jesus told the disciples to go in the world and do. And for us, if we follow Jesus, we're called to really follow and to imitate and to think like he thinks. 
And one of the best ways to kickstart thinking the way that, that God thinks, the way that Jesus thinks, is by reading in his word. He's given us his word that is going to help us to understand God's mindset and what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do. And so our next step, the thing that we can practically do this week as we go ahead, is all about diving into God's word, learning about God. Our next step is this. I will read one chapter of Proverbs each day for 31 days. Why Proverbs? Because there's a lot of wisdom in there, and there's a lot of practical next steps that we can take, because it's really important after we read God's word to go, how can I apply this? How can my life look differently? And it's also cool because July has 31 days in it, and so what we can do, maybe set an alarm on your phone for July 1st and, and read one chapter, and then afterwards of that one chapter, you can say, okay, God, what do you want me to do with that? And as we continue reading and experiencing God, we'll start to see the world differently and we'll start to look like Jesus. And then our friends and our neighbors and our families will see that, we'll ask questions and we'll be able to show them the way to eternal life. Without Jonah's warning, the Ninevites were headed for destruction. And without Jesus, we are headed for destruction. So if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today's the day. Here at New Life, we say it's simple. It's as simple as ABC. A, we admit that we're sinners, and we admit that we need Jesus as our Savior. And B, we believe. We believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And C, we confess. We confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we commit to following Him by the power of the Holy Spirit every day of our lives. Right now, I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation, and you can pray along with me, or you can say it in your own words. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I am headed for destruction with the way that I'm living my life, Lord. And I admit that I need Jesus to save me. And I believe, I believe that Jesus is your son. And I believe that he died on that cross for my sins and that he rose on the third day, just as he promised that he would and that I can trust in Jesus's promises. And I confess, I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and I commit to following him every day by the power of the Holy Spirit in me because of him. And Lord, I thank you for this new life that you've saved me from destruction. And I will follow you and go anywhere with you, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.